everyone. Welcome to the Beyond the Waves podcast. I'm your host, Julia Taranzak, and my twin brother Michael has Down syndrome and is my inspiration behind everything that I do. My mission is to share the lessons I've learned in unconditional love through growing up with Michael, to provide a means of healing while empowering you to achieve what makes your heart sing, all while revealing the beauty behind each individual who has Down syndrome. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Waves podcast. This is the third episode for our Black Lives Matter series, where we explore the intersection between racism and disability. I am so excited to have our guest on our show today, Victoria. She was raised in San Diego, California, and Victoria moved to Los Angeles to attend Cal State University Northridge, where she started out her academic career as a deaf studies major, where she planned to become an American Sign Language interpreter. Shortly in her studies, Victoria changed her major and eventually earned both her BA and MA in linguistics. While in her undergraduate program, she also completed a 200-hour yoga certification. Once Victoria graduated, she started teaching yoga and working within education. She started as a TA in special education department, worked at a private high school to help build their international student program, and eventually led her to where she is now, an adjunct professor in the humanities department and a cross-country coach at a Title I school. Welcome, Victoria Sanchez, to the Beyond the Waves podcast. Thank you so much for joining our show today. I just... You are always such a bright light. I love following your posts and you're such a big advocate for so many friends. So thank you for being with us today. Yes. Thank you for asking me. Thanks for finally, uh, you know, taking some time for us to get together. So I'm glad that that we're here. (laughs) So I wanted to kind of go in, go kind of back in time. And I know you went from being a deaf studies major and you switched over to linguistics. And I think it's so cool to kind of look at that because so many students end up switching majors when they're in school. And that's such a normal thing. What prompted you to change? Yeah. So I have been learning sign language since I was 11 years old um, in San Diego, San Diego Unified. I don't know if you know this, but there's, um, they keep all of deaf students in a cohort for the most part. They try to. So they go to Lafayette Elementary, uh, what used to be Croc Middle School, and then they go to Madison High School. And so I went to Croc and I went to Madison. So I started learning sign language, I guess, 12 years old, I should say. Um, and I just loved it. I dove right in. And then I took it throughout high school. I took classes. I, um, my last class I took in high school level was five, six. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I want to be an interpreter. Went to Cal State Northridge, which has the best uh, deaf studies program after Gallaudet, a deaf college in DC. And um, I was there for a year and I put myself through school, but this is in 2009. So I didn't have a laptop and all of my assignments were video assignments because I was signing. And I had to go to the school library, go or to the deaf studies library, we had a special library, and I would have to record all of my videos and submit them there. But I also was working. So it just did not work out with my with scheduling and ended up being really challenging. And a typical A student, I was getting C's, D's in my classes. And so I took a step back. I removed, I didn't I stopped attending Cal State Northridge and I went to a community college in LA, Pierce Community College. And I was there for about two years as an English major. I was taking American literature, British literature, Shakespeare literature. Um, and then I had to take linguistics as a prereq for to continue and transfer out. 
and I went to that class, I was like, oh, this is it. I, it's language, it's English, it's the science of the two. And so I dove head in and I, ch- I changed my major after one class to linguistics. Um, and then, so my undergrad is in, I like to say it's, it's typically just broad linguistics, but I like to say that undergrad was in, was like theoretical. And then grad school, I earned my, my degree in linguistics also. And I like to say it's applied because my emphasis was teaching English as a second language. Yeah. What did you have any fears pop up when you were deciding to switch? Oh, yeah. Well, first, my biggest fear was while I was still at Towson Northridge, my GPA was so low. And I was like, I'm going to lose my financial aid. I'm going to get kicked out. I won't be able to go back to college. I'm going to end. I served tables at the time. And I was like, I'm going to work at CPK the rest of my life. I had so many worries about just having bad grades. And then when I was at community college, same thing. I was around people who've been there for years, just stuck. And I was like, this cannot be me. I have, I'm, I have too many goals in mind that I have to reach. Um, and so I was like, English, it's, it was almost honestly like an easy out to major in English because I, I love reading and I, I'm a great writer in my, in my opinion. Um, so it was, almost, it was honestly just like easy where, and then when I changed linguistics, I knew it wasn't going to be easy because it, everything was new. And so I was definitely, you know, fearful. And then I would, I would meet with my classmates and they were so smart and they knew so much and they were so worldly for only being 20, 21. And I was like, uh, you know, it, this new little guppy. And I just kept my focus and I would study and I, I'm the kind of person, I was going to say Eric actually last night, I'm the kind of person that even though like I I'll get to my goal, I have to put in a lot more time than some people, like my middle brother, he is a one of a kind. He will listen to a lecture and then go take a test and he gets an A. Whereas I have to listen to the lecture. I then go home and I look at my notes. I have to make an essay from my notes, go back in, write it out, talk with somebody about it. And then I can go to the test and hopefully I'll get a B, you know? So it's, I, it's definitely a lot more of a process. So those kinds of things always worried me, but I ended up doing it. And I graduated undergrad at 3.5 and grad school at 3.9. So the hard work paid off. Yeah. Thank you. Definitely a proud moment. Yeah. Did you just go straight into grad school from there? Yeah. So when I was done with undergrad, um, actually when I was on undergrad, I started working at Granada Hills charter high school as a TA. And then while I was there, everyone was applying for their master's degree. And I thought about it and with linguistics, you have to get a master's degree or a PhD. Otherwise, you will be working at CPK the rest of your life. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't my goal at the time. And so I, um, I decided to apply and then uh, I went straight, straight into it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And I know mm-hmm. your core power, what, what inspired you to get your teacher training done when you were in undergrad? So it's so funny. My very first yoga class ever was a Bikram class. And I went with my friend and I I had to been 19 and I went in and I had, a, I got a bloody nose halfway through class and I don't know if you've taken Bikram, but it's that's super hot militant. Yeah. Yeah. It's also hot. And it's, just, it's, it's the hot power fusion sequence, but it's done twice. So it's an hour and a half class and it's super hot, but there's no humidifier. So it's just dry heat and it's on a carpeted room and it was just not a good experience, but I got a bloody nose halfway through. And because it's so militant, the instructor didn't let me leave. So I was sitting in the class with a towel over my nose, just like on my knees, looking around at people doing all these poses I've never seen before. And finally, I was like, I don't have to stay in here. They're not forcing me to stay in here. I'm going to leave. So I left. I sat in the lobby and I was like, I'm never taking yoga again. This is miserable. (laughs) And Maybe a few months later, my friend Emma 
she was like, hey, come to Core Power with me. Your first week's free. And I was like, no, 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 I hate yoga. And she was like, no, come, it's fun. It's hot yoga. And I was like, right, I hate it. Yeah. So then I, um, I took class there and I did my free week and I went every day during my free week. Actually, you know, what's funny is I did half my free week in LA and my other half down in San Diego. So as I was going down for like my dad's birthday or something. Um, so after my free week, they used to have the program yoga for trade. And mm -hmm. I, um, my shift was Friday mornings, four hours. I cleaned the studio and I got free yoga. And then after maybe like two years of, of doing yoga for trade, I finally decided I want to get my teacher certification. Um, I had no plans to teach yoga. I just wanted to do it to better my practice. And then I realized I actually like love teaching. And so much of yoga teacher training is why I became a teacher in the first place. Yeah. It's yeah. so powerful. What were your biggest takeaways from doing it? Um, how to talk to people and how to actively listen. Uh, it's how to get your point across short. I'm, I'm a storyteller, as you probably see now. I'm, you know, just <laughs> chatting up a storm, whatever comes to that in mind. But when you want to say something with purpose and meaning, there's a short, quick way to do so. Um, it doesn't have to be some elongated, elaborate variation. Exactly. And that sounds like it almost could apply to your linguistics as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Just thinking about like the language setup of how, I mean, you know, cause you've gone through corporate training too, but there's just so much emphasis on language and how it's used in the space. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, with, um, one of the sutras being, you know, only speak what's mindful and important. It's something I've always kept in the back of my head too, just in everyday life. Exactly. It's so powerful. I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of shift gears a little bit. And I know when you finished school, you went into being a TA at a special education program. Mm -hmm. How was your experience through that? And did you even have any experience with special needs before that? No. So I was a T so originally I was hired and I was a TA in the English department and I was working in the cluster classroom. So it's a mixture of honors kids and, um, this mainstream students and, um, halfway or like, I guess, second semester, they were like, Hey, we're going to change gears. We're going to put you into the special ed department. I've never, uh, I had no experience and I don't know actually if you know this, but I have a cousin who has down syndrome. So I yeah. Uh-huh. So my only ever experience was uh, with, with, uh, this kind of students I was working with there was my cousin, Nick and, it, you know, just growing up with him, but nothing, no, like I, studies of, of how to, and how to communicate and, you know, the, um, pedagogy of teaching and working with students, uh, with different needs. And I had, um, tons of students in the class or probably in a really big school. There's probably 5,000 students at this school and no, maybe more. Cause the graduating class was 1200 when I, when I worked there, isn't that crazy? But nonetheless, the, yeah, this, this class that I work with is with ninth and 10th graders. And everyone had a different um, need. Uh, but the one thing, and I think I mentioned this to you before, the one thing that was interesting was there weren't any students of color in, in the program. Mm -hmm. um, and the, there was one student and he was Mexican and he was in the foster care system. And mm -hmm. he did not need to be in the special ed education department by any means. Um, sitting with him, working with him, talking with him, he was just someone who always went under the radar. And because he wasn't focused and he got bad grades, this is my opinion. Again, I was not trained. I was not trained by any means in that section in that area. But he he was able to communicate with me. His writing was great. Definitely lower than a ninth grader, but it was still you know excellent. But just kind of a gateway into understanding that there's a huge education and achievement gap for students of color who um, do have different needs, um, and 
and where that where that would where that can take them and how they might just go through the system and then once they go through the system then they go off and some, something you know something happens or the way they live their, live their life is different because they didn't know that they should have been in different kinds of classes and taken care of in a different way yeah do you think that his especially like this particular student do you think his level of education was almost compromised like you said he always was writing really well do you think he could have probably been pushed and put in a different class instead of kind Absolutely. of being in bubble? I almost think, I don't know what his uh, his background was. He didn't share a lot of his life with me. I just think that he bounced around from, from foster care to foster care. And actually it's three months into the semester, he was he was moved to different foster care and moved schools. So he was always everywhere. But um, I my first instinct was he should be in an ESL class because I'm guessing at a young age, he didn't have the tools needed for, um, for education coming from a Spanish speaking home to then all English classes. Yeah. And how diverse was the school? Cause it's crazy to hear 1200 students in a graduating class. Yeah. It was really diverse. Mm-hmm. I will say because it's, it's LA. So in LA, most things, most places, if it's not a private school are pretty diverse. Um, so it was, yeah, it was an incredibly diverse school, but certain programs lacked diversity. And I think the special education department is one of them. Um, even I was talking about this with Eric uh, last summer and his sister is deaf. Um, and so she was placed in special ed classes when she was young. She actually hard of hearing, I should say. Um, but she wears hearing aids now, even as an adult and has since we were in middle school. Um, but she was in place in special ed classes and she didn't, well, didn't need to be in special ed classes. She was just hard of hearing and there weren't the proper tests to get her to the right spaces. And this is again, years ago, but still, you know, yeah. the it trouble has- she faced until she got hearing aids. And then she went on to go to, she graduated from Calis Northridge with a uh, degree in deaf studies and then went to USC and has a, a, her MSW. So, you know, the power of hearing aids for her. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. What mm-hmm. kind of, are there any lessons you learn from working with students with different needs? patience is, is great. And, and talking to them, like they're, they're human, you know, I mean, cause obviously they're human, but so often, even the teacher, and this is again, which is my opinion, she's trained and she's been doing it for years and she's actually awarded within the LA uh, unified school district, but she just talks to them in a much slower pace. That was almost demeaning. Whereas when I spoke to them, I, I talked to them like I do you just uh, maybe a little bit slower, but you know, it's not it, just because they're different able doesn't mean that they're stupid or whatever this this teacher would kind of came off as I don't know so just do that I'm sure that you've experienced this with Michael tons of times people like oh hello and you're like you can talk to him (laughs) like you're talking to me (laughs) exactly I think that's so powerful just sharing that in general like that patience and just treating everyone with kindness it's huge and it's applicable to everyone not to everyone to everyone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. If you talk to everyone with patience and kindness and understanding, it will take you so far, but definitely within that community, it's not, you don't need just because they are differently able and correct me. That's, that's an okay term to, yeah. to say. I know you're about terms earlier. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you that's know. a thing that's so interesting with terms is like, I'm still fixing my own terms. And I mean, yeah. some people hate using special needs. Like it's still, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But there's so many advocates out there who are using different terms, like different needs or different abilities. Like there's so many different words that you can use. And I'm yeah. sure you in yoga, we'd always avoid saying no or avoid saying anything that's negatively termed. 
So it kind of made me question my own words and wondering how do I say this? So that's more empowering rather than having any sort of poor connotations added to it. So thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. I know because you're, you know, beforehand you're asking for my community as well. And so it is important to make sure I'm saying, we know we're all saying it correctly and what is empowering. I love that you said that. They said, use what's empowering, not um, demeaning or undermining, you know, what is being said. Thank you. And to kind of shift gears a little bit, I mean, the past year, there's been so much going on. I don't even want to mention the year number because everyone already knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry in hindsight. (laughs) But there's been so much that's gone on, and especially in terms of Black Lives Matter. Can you share a little bit more with our viewers, our listeners, how you've been impacted by that and how, what your experience has been? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, when Ahmaud Arbery was, was killed going out for a run, um, that one really hit home. I know that there's been over the years, tens of, um, black people who were killed, um, at the hands of, of white people for different reasons. And, um, that one really hit home because I'm a runner and I run all the time. And when I run in, in military housing, I've been followed. I've, people come out of their house, they, they watch me. And that could be for so many reasons. And I never thought about it, but that's changed my running forever, I think. Um, because now I just think that people are coming out because they think I don't belong. Whereas before, they, I thought they were coming out to water their grass or, you know what I mean, to just enjoy their outside space. And chances are they are, but that one really hit home. And so it, um, it kind of empowered me to look back at my own experience and so many things that I've dismissed over my life as like, well, just, just happens. And, you know, I shared it on, on Facebook, but, um, my first experience with racism ever was in Santee and I was 14. My friend moved from Claremont out to Santee and we were walking around and this, this tall white skinhead walked past me and he spit on me and I didn't know what to do. And I, I remember being 14 with my two white friends and we were, you know, they were like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? They're so nice, but you're 14. What do you, you don't, <laughs> I didn't even like understand really. I was upset, but I didn't, I kind of let it go out to my mom. And I've never, I, to this day, have never been back to Santee ever. <laughs> and I don't blame you for our listeners that don't know, like I was born in Santee and it's a very, very white city. It's had a lot of very it has a really kind of dark background. I know there was, I think there was a lot of KKK affiliations with it decades ago. It was also known as clan T. Like it is just, I think there's a lot of work that still gets to be done there. Mm-hmm. Just, I remember like going on Facebook and I saw you share so many of your experiences. Yeah. And I really believe like, especially through our blog and what we've done, like I really believe that stories are so powerful And it kind of lets people see things outside of their own shoes because we don't understand, you know, we all have a different experience of the world Mm -hmm. and you shared so many things and just one post that were like jaw dropping. Like I don't even have the right words to share what you expressed, what you've gone through and just, you've taken things with so much grace, but I, it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. It, it really is crazy. And I, all of the things, like even that woman who said, like, I had beautiful red bone skin, you know, that was, I know she was being nice, but that was one of those things Like it obviously stuck with me for years. Um, I had in, in LA, despite how diversified I want to believe it is, or diverse, I should say that it is, 
Um, I had a man in a big white pickup truck. I was going to Fleet Feet, a shoe store to get new running shoes in Encino. And um, I cut him off when I was <laughs> while I was pulling in. And he rolled his window down and he yelled at me and I didn't hear him. He pulled into the parking lot where I parked. He was not going there. And he yelled at the window, dirty, called me a dirty N-word. Um, to like followed me to tell me that. And then he left and it was a parking lot. It wasn't like, and I was on a busy street. He pulled off to tell me that. Um, and you know, that the N word ones come with, come with tons of things in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when it was the bioluminescence, I was in Oceanside, Eric's mom used to live in Carlsbad. I went to go look at it. We all had our masks on and this tall, and I, I don't want to, it's the, the hardest part is I, I've never been the person until probably last when Ahmaud Aubrey died to like, look at someone and think they're racist. <laughs> they, yeah. they must say all lives matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But um, this, this guy, he, he was tall, white skin, like bald. Um, he wasn't wearing a mask and Eric said something like seriously, or one of us did. Right. And he walked up to me and he coughed in my face, like nose to nose coughed in my face. And I had no other reason to think he did that because he thinks he has more power than me, whether that be because I'm a woman or I'm a woman of color, but it was, you know, there's just, it happens all the time. And I remember when, before Ahmaud Arbery was shot, I told Eric, I was like, cause Eric has always been like, well, we can't do this. We can't do that for certain, we're black. We can't go, can't go these areas. And I'm like, Eric, I'm so sick of being so woke. Can we just take a minute? And that bit me in the ass because it's been such this empowering moment for me to go back to my own experiences and realize there's actually a lot of times that something has come up and it's not correct. Um, another time, something that you would that I thought as thought of as minor um, is hair. When I worked at Cheesecake Factory, I came. It was like 2010. I came in with my hair in a ponytail, and I was told that I needed to put my hair in a bun because it wasn't acceptable um, professional work professional hairstyle. So I went into the bathroom, and if you have curly hair, you know there's no styling your your hair with just water. So I was like in the bathroom taking my hair from a high ponytail down into a bun because my hair was considered not professional. Um, another time with hair, um, oh, I had another choice. Oh, TSA, I wear my hair, as you can see now, I know viewers, listeners will be able to see it later, but my hair's in a top knot. In TSA, if my hair's, every time my hair's been in a top knot, um, they pull me over to the side and they ask me to take my hair down or they, they feel my bun. But if I braid my hair, no questions, no problems. And, and so I got to the point, Oh yeah. I got to the point. I Googled it one time. I was like, why do is this, are other black women experiencing this? Or is it just like total coincidence? This is probably years ago. I, I looked into this and a bunch of black women on a bunch of different blogs were like, I have this problem. And so they, someone said, start asking for a black female TSA agent to do it, to do your hair check. And so if I get stopped for my hair, I'm like, can I have a black TSA agent, female please? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done that afterwards? Say it again. Have you ever done that? Like afterwards, like you ask for that question specifically? No, like I've asked them while I'm there. Like if I get pulled a check, I'll say, can I have a black agent? I'll wait until they find somebody. But I've never asked why. I just go like why my hair is getting checked. I just, you know, of course I want to comply. I never want to, again, say any, anybody uh, in, in law enforcement, I never want to say anything or talk back by any means. But I also don't want to be treated in a certain way just because of the color of my skin or the texture of my hair. Exactly. What about, I mean, I can't, it's so shocking to see that in a professional environment. Have you ever had any prior conversations about that? Or have you ever had that pop up in the past that, you know, your hair isn't professional? Like what? I mean, it just, it blows my mind to hear that. And you're like, this is my hair. Like, what do you mean? 
Right. Well, only a few years ago, um, a law in California only was passed that women can or people of color can wear their hair natural. And so there was this big push in advertisements and everything for women to wear their hair natural. Um, mm-hmm. I must have been somewhere between 2015, 2018, that law was passed in California. And then last summer, it was passed nationwide that people of color can wear their hair. So just think last summer, that the way that my hair grows out of my head is now a legal way for me to wear it to perfect as a professional way, protected. Yeah. So much yeah. for being in the 21st century. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And braids are also protected. Um, and so are dreadlocks, but they weren't for until last year. So professionally, people of any woman of color was basically expected to either have their hair straightened or have it chemically straightened or just mm-hmm. like over the pretty off- much or in a bun or pulled back or you know, I used to like twist my hair in the front, put it, pin it back in a low bun. I braid my hair so often. It's more comfortable for a lot of things that I do think active, but yeah, it's crazy. I feel like I can never complain about my hair again. I just, <laughs> it just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. I know. Ne- I mean, I never really thought about it until I was told at cheesecake, I couldn't wear my hair that, that way. Um, I worked at CBK in Fashion Valley before I worked at Cheesecake Factory in LA and I wore my hair in a ponytail all the time and no one ever said anything to me. Um, same thing at when I worked at CBK up in LA in Northridge, but then yeah, this Cheesecake Factory. That's, and I just, it's so insane. Mm-hmm. What, what advice do you have for listeners who want to be allies who want to be supportive, especially those that just that don't know what to do. What steps do you recommend for them to go out there and be allies? You know, I think it, it starts with, with asking questions, uh, listening and a quote that's become one of my favorites over the past year is speak up even with your, if your voice shakes, you know, by RBG. And, um, it's just so true. If you see something that you don't think is correct, say something, even if it's, if it's scary, if it's not correct, if it's your, if it's your job, if it's something that, that you value, that you know, is, is the right, what is, what is right. And what is being done is wrong. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think it's, that's a huge, that's so important, especially because so many people think that, oh, well, this is the rule. This is the way it's supposed to be. And you know, very well, in the last century, like Jim Crow laws were legal. Like so many things were legal, but just because right. it was law doesn't mean it was okay. Like doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's really okay. And it's okay to speak up about those things and it's okay to take a stand for someone else. Absolutely. And I think that people of color are more protected within laws now. And so if something does come up, there's probably, there's probably oh, like the hair, you know what I mean? As of last year. So there's something that can, that if you get sent home because your hair is not professional and you have dreadlocks, say something, you know, it's not correct. Um, do your research, understand. And I just, yeah, ask questions, listen, ask yeah. people in the community, which you know is so important. You know, don't just ask some random person, ask a person who's part of that community, get deeper understanding, better understanding. I love that you mentioned the questions part. Cause like for myself, like I love when people ask questions about Michael and I've had, I'm sure you've had these moments as well, where like, I've had some of my closest friends are like, I, I hope this isn't offensive. Like, do, are you like, they're so scared to ask questions. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Dude, I don't, I know your intent isn't malicious. And it means so much to me knowing that you care enough to ask that you care enough to know what's going on. Like, that's, what's so important. And I've like, I've laughed at myself the past year because I was too scared to ask my black friends questions. 
And I'm looking right. at myself down. I'm like, you know, it's like the communities aren't the same, but it's like the similar concept of like asking questions. And when you're asking from an intention of just being curious and just gaining knowledge, like I never, I could never see you attacking someone for it, but I feel like a majority of people would be so kind if you just show that you care. Absolutely. I, I think it's huge. And it, that's with everything that's, that goes back to even the quote, speak up when, even if your voice shakes, you know, you are, most people are afraid to ask a question because they don't want to be wrong. But in this context, I think it is so important to allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be wrong and to just learn. Yeah. What do you recommend, especially in terms of documentaries or books, or what are the best sources that people can listen to or go look to, to at least kind of gain more knowledge, especially if they grew up in a town where maybe they don't have any black friends, or maybe they don't have any people of color around them. Yeah. The, so one big one um, is just mercy. Um, just mercy changed everything for me. Um, so I've always grown up in mixed, mixed company, typically more white people than not, especially with my, with my, within my family. Um, and I, of course I had experienced these things, but it was, I, I didn't know it was wrong or different or other people around the world, other black people in the, in the U S were experiencing them too. Um, and just mercy and all of the work that the EJI does in general is really really eye-opening and you have to prepare. Have you read or watched Just Mercy? I have not. You have to prepare yourself because it's, I mean, I was sobbing. I, there's this, I watched the movie first. I read the book later um, in the section of the book where I was sobbing in the movie. I just skipped through it. I couldn't even like, it's gut-wrenching. Um, yeah. And this is, this is within the past 30 years that, that he's been doing this work, you know? Um, so all of the EJI work is really amazing. Um, Just Mercy. Uh, I also, EGI, what is that? Oh, it's the equal justice initiative. Mm-hmm. And it was created by, I believe his name is Brian Stevenson. I always forget if it's Steven Bryanson or, or, or <laughs> that, vice versa, but, um, he's amazing. And he started this small little law firm and I believe he's in Georgia mm-hmm. and he, all of his work is for people of color, typically black people. And he goes in and he, people who are convicted and found guilty of crimes, heinous crimes that they more times than not didn't do. He, he goes and he asks people and he does this, you know, he finds his questions and people he, that he's gone out of jail off of death row because of, because of the work. And there's a higher number people who are, are poor are typically put on death row, not always people of color, but pe- people who are poor and, you know, people of color are put on death row. And so he does a lot of work with, with poor people, but it's a, yeah, equal justice initiative there. They do really, really great work. There's also in San Diego, um, a place up in Northern San Diego, Encinitas for Equality, I think it's what it's called. And so it's a yoga studio and it's a little shack and all of the work that they do, it's all nonprofit based and it goes back to um, to people of color in different, different ways, whether that's the Black Lives Matter chapter of San Diego or the EJI, or they have tons of other avenues. All of, the, all of their um, artwork that they sell is all by people of color, arts of color. Mm-hmm. all of their clothes or yoga mats. They do a lot of really great work there too. Yeah, that's amazing. And what we were talking beforehand, you brought this up and I thought this was so cool. Can you share with our listeners what you do before you go purchase things or the organizations that you especially love to support? Oh yeah. So I was saying um, beforehand, I like to look at the, the companies. I like to shop small. So if I shop small, I go and I look at the company's Instagram page 
and I see what kind of advertisements they post and I make sure that they're inclusive of all, all people. Uh, for example, I was telling Julia that I bought a silicone um, engagement ring and I went to the company and I looked at their page and they had a picture for pride. They had a, a picture of people of color. They had, it was just very, very diverse and very inclusive. So those are the kind of people I want to support because they align with my own personal values and beliefs. Exactly. That's so powerful. And before we end things for today, what piece of advice do you have for our listeners to take home with them? I just think going back to that, the importance of speak up, even if your voice shakes, um, allow yourself to listen, to learn and to share that too. Again, even if your voice shakes in spaces where you are, um, look around, analyze where, who's around you, um, people that inspire you, the, the people that you follow on social media, um, people that allow people into your circle that, are, that look different, sound different, are from different spaces. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's so nice. Thank I always you. love seeing your big smiling face and you have such <laughs> positive, bright energy. So thank you so much and for sharing so much of your journey with us. And I can't wait to see you soon. I know. I miss you. Thank you so much. I love seeing your smiling face too. It's nice to have this interaction now. You know, we always talk over social. So this is great. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. You can find me on Instagram at beyond the waves blog. And if you know someone who may benefit from today's episode, please feel free to share with them so we can share the Beyond the Waves mission of spreading unconditional love and showing what it looks like to grow up with a sibling who has Down syndrome. I'm so grateful for all of you, sending you all so much love, and I'll talk to you next week.